Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This is Dowdy, a chit-chat podcast where me, I'm Mariana Feijó, discuss bravery and try to find a concept to submit to all the dictionaries out there. Yes, I am still paying homage to all the podcasts I listen to out there. While I try to find my own tone and words to initiate my podcasts, I'm using all the tone and words from the podcasts I listen to, which are a lot, so I'm not worrying about having to find my own voice just yet. This was inspired by The Dumbbells, a podcast about fitness, hosted by Eugene Cordero and Ryan Stanger. If you don't know it, go have a listen. They're not doctors and don't claim to be doctors. I'm not a linguist and I don't claim to be a linguist. I just really want to chat with people and this is an excuse. That's my reason to have a podcast. Sue me. I've been actively reading the news lately because of comedy reasons and topical writing shenanigans. And I don't know how to tell you this, but... It's probably one of the most depressing things you can do with your life is actually read the news. And I'm uh, an informed person. I know what's happening in the world. I know the important things that are happening in the world. I'm informed. I read. I read about it. But actually, deeply reading the news week upon week upon week and knowing that nothing is changing, that the news are the same, give or take, week after week after week and it's also so bad guys it's <sighs> tiring uh, very tiring and it doesn't help that we're living in ours and not seeing a lot of people to distract ourselves so i'm looking forward to being able to stop reading the news and stop writing topical comedy for a little bit and just go into the silly depths of my mind. Ooh. An interesting thing that happened while recording this episode, we've recorded it on a Saturday, and at some point during the podcast I say that I've discovered late in life that I like people, and that I like meeting people, I like being around people. We've stopped the recording of the podcast, and I went out. I live very close to Broadway Market, that has a market on Saturdays. I went out to grab a bite there, and it was very full of people very full, with no social distancing cap capability in the street, even if it's outside, people are very close together, very few people wearing a mask, very few people respecting other people's personal space, even outside of Covid worries, I still really like my personal space. So I basically walk down, up and down the street, just saying fuck you to everyone, I <laughs> went past, not everyone, come on. Let's let's be fair. Just those that annoyed me. And I said several times during that really short walk that I hated people. And I just looked back at my day talking to my guest and realized that I'm prob I probably like people in a selective way. <laughs> and not on the street strangers. I also had a moment on Broadway Market, because it's where I've been spending my, my life lately, this Sunday, where I've been accosted on the street for wearing my uh, Capoeira Group hoodie. For a reason I wouldn't argue with, but I had um, I was threatened of having a bottle broken on my head 
because I'm wearing a hoodie and I feel like that's too much. I, the person also told me I was ugly and my trousers were ugly. So, you know, it was a good Sunday for me. Today is Monday and I've just finished editing this episode that I love. I really, really, really love this conversation with my guest who I've known for the past five or six years. And we never had such a, an in-depth conversation about our lives, even though we're really good friends. So this is another thing the podcast can bring is uh, a, a new knowledge of my friends who I invite to be my guests. The podcast itself will start as every other episode before this 14th episode started, which is with my guest, Stefan Lee, introducing himself. Uh, my name is Stefan Lee. I am originally from the US. Uh, I now live in the UK. I guess my day job is working in television with Discovery, which many people know through Discovery Channel, but we have many other channels. And my not day job is doing a lot of improv, at least before lockdown, but uh, I still got the bug in me. And you've been doing like a bit of it with Comedy Asians. You've been do doing some stuff online. I think you're one of the groups that I see do more online which is exciting. Yeah, exactly. I, it's, it's probably the one that's most survived through the lockdown. <laughs> I, had, I think I had four groups before lockdown. Yeah, I've been doing a lot with Comedians. We are what the UK's first uh, all-Asian improv comedy group. And um, thankfully, we have good people, people who can do tech for us. <laughs> and so we've been able <laughs> to do a few shows online and keep that going. Even though this is not an improv podcast, how has that been going? How is doing improv online? Because I've done a couple of things, but I haven't really gone into yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different, I have to say. Uh, I think we've grown as a group and a community to adapt to the challenges and some new opportunities using Zoom, for example, uh, you know, learning how to do swipes and walk-ons and all of those things that are easy to do in person, uh, you kind of have to readjust to do it online. Yeah, but it's still fun. It's still fun, but I, I have to say there's nothing like the live stage. Like, take me back, please. Yeah, let's just like end Corona. I know. Away. We get it. We get it. Okay, it's over. Yeah. The, the joke's not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah. Enough is enough. Um, how would you define bravery? Yeah, that that was a great question. That's a big question. Um, I was I, I was reflecting on that because you had asked me to think about that beforehand, and I was thinking all the times that people say that I've been brave in my life, and yeah. it's like, you know, it's it's them that they're attributing this bravery to things that I've done, and in the moment I either mm -hmm. find that those things are whatever, like not very interesting, or they're very very difficult, but I don't feel like they're brave. So I almost think that bravery is in the eye of the beholder. You know, it's, it's like when I started doing improv, a lot of my friends would come to see the shows and they would say, oh, you're so brave. Like, I can't believe you get on stage and do improv. And I thought it was just fun. And then when folks like you do stand-up, it's the opposite, right? <laughs> like, I would never do stand-up. I think you, you guys are the bravest people in the world. Um, so I, I almost think that bravery is a bit what, what other people think about your actions. I think that's the first time in the podcast that someone says that and I like I think that's great because that's basically what we've all been saying these past few episodes that most of the times people tell us that we are brave we don't really think that we're being brave we're just doing something that whatever mm -hmm. so yeah maybe you're right maybe uh, bravery comes from whoever is watching you <laughs> 
that thinks that you are brave, you're just going through life doing yeah, things. I, I, I think so. I think it's, um, I was also thinking, you know, it's a bit like somebody else does something that is good. And if you have a positive reaction to that, like, wow, that person was really brave. They did, you know, they cured cancer or they traveled the world or um, they left their job. And, and then sometimes you think they do something good and you're, and you're, you're jealous of that. So I almost think like bravery and jealousy are kind of like two sides of the same coin. You know, if you are inspired by someone's actions, then it's bravery. It's like a positive thing. If you're annoyed by it or, or you kind of have a negative reaction to it, then it's more of a jealous thing. Mm, that's a really interesting thought. Because, yeah, like what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of like comparison in whatever you do mm -hmm. in life. So I guess there is as well in bravery or in the things you put yourself out there to do so yeah, yeah. that's really I, cool <laughs> uh, you're making me think <laughs> well it was it was great to hear some of the earlier episodes of, of this podcast and it was it's just you know wow there are a lot of different things that people have done and it, and sometimes i felt wow those things are really brave and and that's great for them and other times i'm like oh man what have i been doing <laughs> so, so there was the kind of the jealous side <laughs> of me that came out so what were moments in, you've thought about moments in your life that you have been brave or at least People have People told have you, told you're you brave. Right. if you can't. Yeah. Uh, do you have any of those moments to share with us? <laughs> well, I thought it was great that you uh, asked me about that because you and I are both scientists by training. Yes. And so I thought I would go back to the time where, where I was uh, supposed to be a scientist in, in life. And I had studied, I think you, you have a master's in biochemistry, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And I have a master's in bioengineering. So quite similar. Um, and I love that we've both completely stopped doing anything related to that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was a time in my life where I was studying, I was trying to get a PhD actually in bioengineering. And I say that I left with a consolation prize of a master's uh, because I had to quit the program. And it was, you know, it was a time where the whole goal was to get this degree and then to be this you know, professor or someone who worked in, in industry, maybe pharmaceutical industry on bioengineering projects and kind of saving lives through medicine. And it was just, it was really bad. I really was not cut out for it. I did not like it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not for me. I had no passion for it. Uh, I was not very good at it. And it took a long time to realize like I could change my path, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think the brave moment, or when I look back on it, the brave moment was saying no to that whole life plan And, and everyone around me was kind of in that environment, encouraging me to, to do this degree and do this career. And that's all the, pe the peers that you knew were all in that industry. The professors were all in that industry. Every network you had was in that industry. And so it was really hard to yeah. just say no and completely cut the cord. My experience is pretty similar, except for the part that I enjoyed being in the lab and doing like research stuff, but then everything else around it, like the academia and the fact that Yeah, the path forward was to be to eventually be a professor or whatever. That was I didn't engage with any yeah. of that. And now that I do something that I I actually enjoy, even the lab bits weren't something I loved. When I stopped, I didn't have like any plan. Did you have? Did you just like break it off without knowing what you were going to do next, or did you have a plan? <laughs> See, that's that's when I would say you were braver than I was because I couldn't I couldn't cut it without having something to jump to. And yeah, but that was hard because it was like two years of, of misery trying to figure out what else to do. And, mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to make that leap, but not until I knew something I wanted to get into, um, something else I wanted to get into. 
fortunately, that happened kind of in a random stroke of insight, just chatting with friends about things that I liked. And it was about that, what you mentioned, you know, the things that you liked and the things that you didn't like. Yeah. And for me, it was figuring out what those things were at the time. And what I really liked about healthcare and bioengineering was kind of, you know, that concept of improving people's lives and, and making people feel better and interacting with people. But when you were in the lab, you know, it's, I was just by myself. Yeah. And many times it was, you know, Friday nights, Saturday, you'd have to come in because the cells, you know, they still live on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, <laughs> Those pesky cells, they're it's very really needy. annoying. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was really a lot of isolated moments in what I thought to be a prison because I didn't particularly enjoy that environment. Um, so I tried to think of ways that I could increase the parts that I did like and decrease the parts I didn't like. And so I thought, well, is there any way to do healthcare related projects that are more community based, that deal with people, that aren't very isolating? And I also really like meeting and interacting with a lot of different cultures. That's when I thought I could go into um, global health, kind of mm -hmm. working in health projects that helping kind of emerging um, healthcare systems improve themselves. And that's set me on a totally different path that eventually I also didn't pursue <laughs> because I ended up here and, and working in television. But uh, it was kind of the next step. And once I had that idea in mind, I looked at opportunities in, in global healthcare and found a consulting job that um, got me to work with, you know, clients like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which was really cool, um, advising them on malaria medicines or tuberculosis programs that could help the world. And I wasn't really uh, doing it on the ground or in, in interacting with the people, but it was a lot more interesting. It was a lot more engaging to work with kind of real issues in the moment rather than growing cells that, you know, 20 years down the line might become a drug. You've just put your finger on something that is maybe the biggest reason that I think I didn't like what I did before. And it's that there's no immediacy, nothing you are doing. You can't see the result of anything you are doing in any real way. Mm -hmm. That's why what I do now is way more exciting for me because I do work that maybe is administrative work and is not super exciting. But at the end of it, there is an event or there is something that I can see that I've worked for and yeah. exists. That's probably why both of us went into improv, because talk about the most immediate thing possible is thinking on your feet. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, it's a total 180 from what we were doing before. Yeah. But when you say like that, I, yeah, when I said that I didn't have a plan, it's true that I didn't, but also I didn't have to give up on anything like my master's ended and like I was in a project that was going to yeah. end. So it was mostly like, should I stay here or should I try and do something else? And I did think I'm going to do science communication because that sounds like I can put in some of my creative brain into and I can move from Portugal because in Portugal there's no science communication. Mm. And so I can try something yeah. new. But it wasn't like there was no plan. And I ended up not, never doing science communication because <laughs> they wanted me to have a PhD at a, in every job I've applied for. And I only had a measly master's oh, no. degree. So useless, right? But then you, f you feel like you're like in your third life. I don't know how many lives I have. Maybe yeah. even more. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm a cat, secretly a cat, and I just have however many lives cats have. Yeah, so what was that? I mean, the, I don't know how, how we sum this all up, but... I went into global health, I did the consulting gig, and then that, that tie to community stuff and, and working with immediate results 
um, kept pulling on me. I, I eventually thought maybe I'll go back for a master's in public health degree because that is the, that's kind of the big thing that you need in that field. And in order to do that, I needed on the ground experience. So I actually went and packed up and moved to Rwanda for a year uh, to get that on the ground experience working for healthcare uh, systems in, in rural districts of Rwanda, which was an incredible year. That led me then to get you know, able to apply for this degree program. And at the time, and once I finally got around to applying to those programs, I realized, actually, I kind of want to do an MBA instead of a, a public health degree because the MBA gives you more options. And then uh, once that ended, I randomly got a job in London. And so that sent me packing from the States over to the UK and kind of the rest is history. So that's a, a few couple more lives afterwards. Yeah. I ended up here in London working in television. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like when we met, you were in a, how did you call it at the time? Fun employed. Yeah, fun employed. Exactly. Yeah, fun employed. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, so had had two jobs in London so far. Um, what brought me here was uh, actually a telecommunications company that had, it's kind of like a Vodafone or an O2, but that works in in African countries. And so that was kind of a link, right? So that was, that was the reason why they thought my experience was interesting. Uh, I did that for two years and then I was looking for a new job and that ended up becoming discovery and, and working in television. But I had two months of, of nothing uh, in between. And that's when I decided, oh, well, those two months happened to be January and February. So I thought, oh, time to make New Year's resolutions. And one of the things I always wanted to do was improv. So I, I started taking courses Uh, dropping classes, doing jams, and that's how we got in touch. And yeah. Yeah. I do, th like, I would say that <laughs> some of what you've just described is brave, and it is your story of bravery. So I guess you somehow now also feel slightly that maybe it was brave in hindsight. Yeah, definitely. I think it helps to get that outside feedback, right? So it helps to yeah. know that things that you've done are brave because in the moment, I just felt really bad. <laughs> There are so many times where I'm like, oh man, I'm throwing away this PhD. My parents are really upset. You know, I, I have no friends anymore in this program. There, there are moments where it just, it just, it didn't feel brave. It just felt really, really bad. And, and it's help, it helps me in hindsight to have that outside feedback saying, actually, you, you kind of did uh, take a lot of courageous steps. Because even like just backing up for, from what you've known And what I imagine is like a comfortable life and just packing up for like a year in Rwanda or packing up and going across the world to yeah. London where, because like when people tell me I'm brave because I live far away from home, I'm like, I'm, I'm home in two hours <laughs> if I want to see my parents. Slightly more difficult during this period of time that we're, it's harder to travel, mm -hmm. but still I can get home really fast. You have more hurdles. <laughs> you're further away it's true and i would say you know some of it is that there are pushes and pulls uh, to all of that so part of me was running away from the situation right it's like mm -hmm. wow okay i've kind of done my piece with science let me get out of this environment i need to i need to change it and so that's what that pushed me away but then there was also that pull of that new opportunity and, and the new excitement of of getting that experience in rwanda or trying to make a job and a life for myself in london and yeah It, it's funny because I remember when I first moved to London, I thought, oh, okay, well, I, I can do this. this is easy. You know, it's English speaking. You know, we know a lot about British yeah. culture. I've done Rwanda before, so I can do I can do London. And then I just sat there in the Tesco aisle for like 20 minutes staring at <laughs> every single product has a different name. Every single brand has different. 
you know, people are pushing me and, and getting annoyed that I'm taking up all the space in the aisles because the aisles are smaller. Uh, and I'm just, I, I feel like I'm this idiot just looking at, I don't know what Ribena is. I have no idea what the, I, I was looking for baking, uh, baking soda. And I didn't know you don't call that baking soda here. So it's a bicarbonate of soda. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then just even, even that the Tesco was the, you know, I, I didn't know what a Tesco was. I didn't know what a Sainsbury was. I didn't know <laughs> what Waitrose was. Um, and that those mean different things, if you say. Yeah, yeah the, the <laughs> exactly. classes in, in between those. It's, wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's definitely funny. And I think the improv side of me likes to pull out the funny bits of it now. But yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, I never feel like I never feel like it's brave in the moment. Personally, I feel like it's it's something that others others help kind of find that bravery in, in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like because also it's as you were describing it, you weren't happy doing what you were doing, so you needed mm -hmm. a change, and that's less. I mean, it is brave. It it is brave, especially in hindsight, and you know that a lot of people end up settling for what they're doing for life and never jump into that change mm -hmm. but also it's something that you felt you needed to do yeah. so it doesn't feel brave in the moment it just feels like ah, <laughs> i need to get exactly. out of here exactly and maybe you know maybe if you wanted to dial up the bravery you know maybe i could have done it faster maybe i, I wouldn't have waited so long to to kind of mm -hmm. leave the science community um but but it's what happened and you know i don't want to discount the fact that it it, do, it does take a lot of courage sometimes to realize you're not really doing the right thing. It does, like you you talked about the pushes and pulls and the fact that maybe it makes it easier to just in uh, inverted commas to just run away from the place because it's easier to to like do something completely different in a new place. And you talked about leaving your science friends and not having like new friends mm -hmm. immediately. And I. I feel uh, I'm saying this because I feel like it's easier to just start all over in a different place yeah. and make all new friends in a different place because you are going to different places and it makes it easier. And I feel like at points, I feel like I need to leave London now for that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's like an, another interesting concept from your story to just like leave. Definitely. It's, a, it's nice to have a fresh start. I, I wrestle with it, you know, I wrestle if it's if it's cowardice, like you're just running away from all your problems mm -hmm. and just let them be, or if it really is courage. And I think you can read it either way, honestly. Yeah. I, I joke to people because uh, one of the other things that happened when I came over to London is I finally kind of embraced coming out and embraced the, that mm -hmm. identity of myself that, you know, talk about waiting a long time. <laughs> it took me a very long time to come out as gay. And... I joke with people because I used to live in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's where I lived for eight years. And I said, I'm probably the only person in the world who had to leave San Francisco to come out as gay. <laughs> and, and it wasn't because it was a hostile environment there. It's just everything was set in a certain way. And then to then kind of do this big reveal that I'm now going to be totally different, but with the exact same surroundings. Mm -hmm. That was it was awkward. Yeah, totally. I also only came out in here. Also, actually, I only figured out I was queer here. So yeah, that's a whole yeah. other <laughs> mindfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, and for you, you have the same language in both mm. places, but I guess you also maybe ha the surroundings make, make, make you, as you just said, 
act different or be allowed to act different in some ways, uh, maybe because not everything around you is the same. I feel like I'm different. I usually give that to the language, but it's also mm. the place. I feel I say that I'm different in English than I am in mm -hmm. Portuguese because I'm shyer in Portuguese. And, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that's just who I was, exactly. the environment I was. And then once I came here, I made an effort to meet more people. And you were saying that uh, one of the things you didn't like in research is that you were, were always alone in the lab and you like being with people and talking to people. I didn't know I liked being with people and talking <laughs> to people because I've always been very shy and had like a very small group of friends and have been in the lab most of my mm -hmm. adult life <laughs> before I moved here. So yeah, it was only when I came here to do my Erasmus that I understood, huh, I like, I like people. <laughs> interesting <laughs> uh, yeah I, that inertia it it's so real because every time kind of whenever you go back to your childhood home you know there are all these stories myself and then all of my friends as well whenever we go, kind of go back to our hometown and stay in the the room that we grew up and your relationship with your parents it's very hard to to not go back into those old routines you know and that same behavior and the way that the way that you were back then even though you've changed they've changed everything has changed yeah it's like you know you've been putting on your old suit again or whatever and so i think there is something to that where that clean break allowed you it's allowed me to reinvent what is normal yeah i was stuck at my parents for two months when lockdown hit because i was visiting mm -hmm. them and then i could <laughs> get away and i feel that that you say you go back into but i feel i feel a push and pull inside me because then I just get angry with them and then I feel like no that's not yeah. like don't scream at yeah. your parents they're just they're doing, doing their, their best. best don't be exactly mean. exactly it's funny I have a I actually have a Portuguese colleague at work who also went back to Portugal in during lockdown <laughs> and stayed in her parents place and she was and I was catching up with her saying hey how's it going do you is it great being home and thank goodness you you got to kind of escape the chaos of London For, yeah. for lockdown. And she said, you know, I really enjoy having home cooked meals. I really enjoy, you know, not being in London and having this time. But it's it is hard to have. You know, yeah. They're like they, they put me on curfew or they, they they kind of ask me what I'm doing all the time, you know, and it's that's the thing. They ask you what you're doing all the time. <laughs> You get up for you're all all watching TV together. You get up from the sofa to go to the toilet. Where are you going? <laughs> the toilet. <laughs> I, I'm not running I, away. I'm not just going yeah. on a flight and going back to London suddenly. <laughs> I'm being brave. I'm being brave and staying here. <laughs> But it is great to have home cook cook meals and like a bigger house and a garden and a dog. So oh, yes, that's so nice. Did you think of other moments where you have been brave, or do you want to go? to the next step Ooh, what's the next step the next step is asking you if you ever haven't done something for lack of bravery or maybe fear mm, that's good uh, yeah i would go back to the the coming out yeah I, i mean that that took me a very long time uh, and it was tough and it was a journey of not even realizing myself you know in a way but but knowing that something was it, it, it was hard because it was at the same time that i was struggling with the, with the science career And so it's kind of, you know, both professionally and personally feeling like an imposter, but not mm -hmm. being able to name that. So it's just kind of going through life. And you know, I was in California. Everyone's happy. Everything's sunny. You know, you have everything that you want. Life is great. And it was tough to deal with that because you, you walk around and you say, oh, life mm -hmm. is great. I have great 
house. I have a, you know, I have a car. It's nice. Uh, great friends. And, and just professionally and personally at the same time, it was, it was tough to realize what was happening. Mm -hmm. We have never talked about it, and I don't know if you want to like actually talk about it, so let me know if you don't want to answer questions. But so you haven't come out before. Does, does that mean that you had relationships with women before you decided to, or were you just like a loner <laughs> that didn't? <laughs> I was a loner for a long time. I did have a, I did have a serious relationship uh, with a woman for a couple of years, and that was really nice. I, I, I really had a great time uh we cared about each other and i mean that talk about a difficult conversation to have after after the fact um but she was very understanding and uh we still remain friends and uh, and that was it was a moment that i wouldn't i wouldn't change it you know looking back mm -hmm. uh, but yeah i did have that i haven't had many relationships it's basically that and my current relationship and those have been the two long-term relationships i've had so yeah Uh, I'm not an expert in that area. <laughs> Did you feel like pressure from, I don't know, your parents or you, the community? Maybe your parents, because you, you were saying you lived in San Francisco, so there was no pressure from the community you were in for you to act a certain way, I guess. I don't know, because I've never been in San Francisco. So maybe there is, there's still like a duality of sorts. I think so. I mean, it was, it, maybe this was self-imposed pressure. But, you know, there is a certain, everyone's kind of American dreaming over there, right? Everyone's kind of yeah. trying to make it in that life. You have your, your position in society, you have your, you have your goals. Uh, and so when it comes to relationships and being whatever, you know, everyone's still working towards get, get, having finding a great partner and having a nice family, etc. So because I was in a certain track, which was the heteronormative track, you know, I, mm -hmm. uh, it was hard to switch lanes. And even though there was that whole community yeah. that was embracing there, um, I wasn't tapped into it. So I, I really yeah. didn't have interactions with that. And so it was tough to, it was tough to be able to think about that as a possibility. Yeah. But uh, again, that probably is all self-imposed. I mean, if I had the, if I had had more bravery, for example, maybe I would have said, well, screw all of this and go off yeah. and, you know, party in the Castro all night and see what happens to me in the morning. I don't know. But, you know, I didn't have that. Uh... Yeah. I feel like that's also because, and I don't know if that's lack of bravery, but there's also you trying to figure out for yourself what what's happening yeah. inside you, I yeah. guess. So putting yourself in a place, in an outside place, uh, to experience something when you are not really sure what's happening yeah. inside you. Maybe it's, I don't know if that's lack of bravery or just... Smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other dimension to it was, yes, it's a super welcoming LGBT community there, but it's also very, very, very. <laughs> so I, yeah. there, what I needed at the time was kind of like an intro mentor, kind of like ad buddy the ally, you know, like ease you in. But it was like, no, I don't know how to swim. And now we're going to throw you into the ocean. And everything is bright and pink and everyone's pride and everything's this and that. And so those are the images, those, that was the celebration of the community there mm -hmm. at the time. And it was, it was just too much for me. You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't go from zero to, to that. Thousand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And even now, even now I, I feel like, you know, there, obviously the community has many different aspects to it and that is one part mm -hmm. of it, but it's not the only part. And coming from the outside, you, you don't see that. And even now it's, it's like, I wouldn't identify with a lot of those parts of the community. And yeah. I, I don't participate in a lot of those parts of the community. 
and knowing that that's okay and knowing that that there is space for other kinds of gay uh, in this world that uh, that wasn't evident to me until I had more time to think about it yeah and I think it's hard looking from the outside because I still feel that sometimes that some of the more visible queer spaces are not really for me Mm. (laughs) I don't feel welcome in them and I don't feel comfortable with in them even though I am queer and technically it should be a welcoming space to everyone but it is <laughs> so you have to find like your your spaces where you feel comfortable even within what should be it shouldn't there's no shit <laughs> but tech, you think of like yeah we we're all LGBT, the lgbtq community has struggles for so long now we're here and we're supporting mm-hmm. each other and yay it's all rosy yeah. it's not <laughs> there are spaces there should be yeah we should we should come up with like a you know a subtle less uh like a, a more nuanced community space <laughs> yeah which i think we tried to do with uh portuguesian remember uh remember when we used yeah. to do suprom together <laughs> <laughs> going back to it once the world opens yeah. up again <laughs> yes that was fun for those of you who don't know because we only ever did it twice i think but we came up with a, a two-person <laughs> yeah. improv group called portuguesian in what the tagline was one of us is portuguese and the other one is a gay asian <laughs> <laughs> and you, you you'll figure you out you have to guess which one is which yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think honestly even having a name like that and and kind of performing in public was a big step for me in fact because i didn't want for a long time you know it was dealing with that identity and then coming com- more more comfortable with it as well and now i'm i feel like i'm very comfortable with it but even in the improv world which is you know super also super welcoming with that kind of diversity and but still kind of leaning into that as my identity was never a thing yeah. that I wanted to have in the forefront. And so being able to say, look, we're Portuguesian, this is in the name, you know, it's baked into the concept. That was a big step for me. Yeah, that's cool. And I'm glad I, I, I'm a, I was a part of it. I'm a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting, I think, image that you've painted was that you were in California where everything is sunny and you weren't and everyone is happy and you maybe weren't uh, happy with your work and your personal Mm -hmm. life. And now you're in London where everything is grey, where maybe people are (laughs) very grumpy. (laughs) But you're happy or happier with your work and your personal life. You're in a relationship and you have a a job that you enjoy and do stuff outside of work when there's no coronavirus that you enjoy. Oh <clears throat> yeah, right. It's so, you know, you can make you can make it what you want and not everything is what it appears on the surface, I think is the lesson I take from that. People thought I was crazy. All my friends in California thought I was crazy when I said I was moving to London. <laughs> I mean, they would point to the sky and say, look at this. Like, why are you leaving this for that? And I don't know if you've, you've seen The Good Place at all. Yes. It, have you seen all the way through? I have, well, yeah. I think not to have any spoilers uh, for those. Uh, uh, yeah, but like if you haven't watched The Good Place, maybe jump yeah. ahead a few yeah, seconds. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's like a theme, a concept in The Good Place where essentially, I, I guess trying to avoid any spoilers here, the concept is you, you can't really appreciate the good unless you have the bad. A- and... Mm-hmm. I was in a world where everything was supposed to be perfect. It was like being in the good place. And yeah. and you get numb to that. So I remember the days where there was like three clouds in the sky and it became a little bit cooler. Everyone goes crazy. It's like, oh, this is 
what a terrible day. This is rubbish weather. Well, they don't say rubbish over there, but this is terrible weather. <laughs> and uh, oh, it's ruined my day. And it's because you don't really appreciate how good, good the good, you could become numb to the good, right? Yeah. And so when, but when you're here in London, and I remember the first year just being shocked at how happy people were when it was the one sunny day in October. Right? Yeah. And, and now you've, you've joined the and cult. And I've joined the cult, exactly. And so people were like out in the park, you know, uh, sunbathing, even though it was freezing, but just because it was more uh, sunny outside. And, and you just realize you, you do appreciate the good uh, when, when there is the bad. Yeah, I, I, get, I get asked all the time as well if I don't miss Portugal because it's so pretty there, the weather is great, it's... First, I think people also only have the experience of going there in the summer. It does rain. It does get gray. It is way less gray than here and way more sunny. But yeah, that's another mm -hmm. story. But I do appreciate the sun way more now because I used to hate the sun because I get burnt easily and I just stay in. Yeah. And I didn't want to go outside. <laughs> All right, go outside with big yeah. hats and hide from the sun all the time. And now it's sunny. I'm going outside and <laughs> just sit in the yes. park. <laughs> please please can we have some more but not too much because then we won't appreciate it <laughs> do you have something coming up in your life that will require you to be brave oh god um i hope not <laughs> is that is that is that sad we can get through all of this and the learning is it's it's hard to be brave i have to say it's hard yeah so i don't know if i would wish for it yeah but probably they're, they're definitely there definitely will be, you know, I still am, am wondering, you know, what's, what's the next thing. And I've had these massive upheavals in my life in terms of personal development, professional development, what I want to do uh, in this world. And I don't know. I mean, I kind of got here really by accident in London. You know, I found this job. It was great. I really enjoyed uh, the work and, and I enjoyed the people I met here enough to stay. And that was never in the plan. But now I've been here for six years. I became a UK citizen. That was never in the plan. And so kind of once I have those sorted out, now it's like, okay, well, now what's next? Like, how should I take all of the stuff that I've learned or accumulated over time? And, and what's kind of the next big thing that I can give back? So I think that's it. It's, it's very vague because who knows? And yeah. this coronavirus period has really messed up a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I think the first tangible thing would be get a get a, uh, a driver's license that's been on the to-do list for three years now um, because I can't use my U.S. license anymore. Yeah. So I have to take the dreaded U.K. test. But but that's not happening. So I don't know. I don't know what I have to be. I think that's brave, honestly. Maybe I should, you know, yeah, I'll say trying to pass the test with the, the roundabouts and all of that stuff <laughs> ah. <laughs> within manual because I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know manual. I have to say that manual is more fun because uh, I learned how to drive in manual and then my mom has an automatic car that I drive yeah. sometimes and I which I have always I ha always have to have in my mind that I can't use my left leg on mm. the automatic car. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. There's very a, a lot of moments that the car just yeah. like breaks down because I use my left leg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like as we were talking all the moments that you have been brave or that you now consider that maybe you were brave, you have seen them in hindsight. So I think since we have been saying that throughout the whole episode, I think it's hard for you to then go and say, oh, yes, I'm now going to be brave yeah. in, like, I now know I'm going to be brave in the Ooh, future. Yeah. So we'll have to, you'll have to ask me in 20 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be a return guest. Aren't there roundabouts in 
America? <laughs> what what is America? Yeah. What head. is America? No, come on. You're a New York. You love going to New York. You've never seen a roundabout in New York. Yeah, it's true. But I've never like realized it. <laughs> um, so. There, there are. I mean, I'm not going to generalize for the entire country, but they are. They're very much a minority, and they're in different pockets uh, around. So I would say it's not common to deal with those. We have four-way traffic light intersections. Like in Portugal, I think there was a period before I took my driver's license that there was like a roundabout epidemic where they started showing up everywhere mm. and people were a little bit annoyed because they thought it was, it was wrong and it took more time, but they're actually useful, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I've only driven with roundabouts yeah. everywhere, so <laughs> that's what I go. know. But I don't know how to drive on the other side of the road either. Well, that's the problem. That the, the problem is the roundabouts here. You know, so now roundabout in my brain is always what is it? Anti-clockwise? No, clockwise. Yeah. Um, here and then, but in the states, it's the opposite way. And so whenever I do see this, these rare, you know, unicorn roundabouts in the U.S., I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm gonna crash <laughs> driving the wrong way. You know that it has happened to me. I've never driven here. Never. But I walk here and I got used to seeing where cars go and where I have to look mm -hmm. and stuff. And there was one time that I picked up my car in Portugal and I went to the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and then, What? What's happening? My brain is broken. <laughs> I, I, I made a left turn in, in San Francisco uh, back when I used to drive uh, into the wrong, uh, like the oncoming lane because I thought it was a one way street and I had been used to driving in the UK and uh, yeah, it's, it can be dangerous out there. Yeah, your brain gets used to things very fast. That's why coronavirus has to end fast or we'll get used to just being in our homes and talking through the computer. Exactly. That's not nice. Well, <laughs> I want to hug you, Stefan. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Is there someone in your life, real or fictional or public figure or just someone from your life that you think is an example of bravery? Mm. You know, I, uh, this is going to be kind of an easy answer, but I'm going to have to say my parents uh, because, you know, I didn't really appreciate it until recently. But they, so they grew up in Korea. Uh, at a time when Korea wasn't this bright, shiny K-pop world. Uh, they, you know, it was coming out of the Korean War. And so it was really not not the best place. And then they just moved to first a small random island that the U.S. owns in the Pacific called Guam. And, and then they moved to the mainland and they had me and they raised me in the States and kind of they did the American dream. They really just packed everything up, moved over, learned the language, dealt with people, like ran a little shop and put me through college. And so for them, you know, that I, I can't, I guess it's funny how my life has paralleled them that I've kind of done the similar thing. Like I packed up everything and I moved and I moved again and I set up a new life here. And so I guess it's in our DNA, but I had a lot of advantages and I've had a lot of um, privilege and help along the way here yeah. that they did not have. And so I think I think I would say that they are they're quite brave and they're still doing it. There's, yeah, I, I love it because I call them every Sunday and they're always kind of out in the backyard trying to get the sun because <laughs> where they live, it's not always that sunny. Um, they don't live in California, but they're also like studying English still, you know, so they're, mm -hmm. they're studying their words. They're reading the paper and kind of trying to remember the words they learned from last time. And I just I, it's it's great. Like, I, I don't know how. They keep doing that, but I, it, it's great to see them. How long have have they been in the U.S.? Ooh, uh, 
40 years now. That's great. That also reminds me that you learn a lot of languages. So maybe that's also something that you have from the fact that your parents always were studying a, another studying, language yeah. throughout the whole time you've met them. You've known them. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, parents. Nice to meet you, mother. Nice to meet you, father. Um, yeah, no, it's it's become another passion of mine. So I'd say improv is one and, and learning languages is another. But it's funny, I, I kind of attribute it to reclaiming the language that I didn't get to learn, which was Korean. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, you know, in that American dream spirit, you know, wanting to have me really be comfortable in the U.S. and raised in the U.S., they, they wanted me to be all in American. So um, mm -hmm. they stopped teaching me Korean. They stopped speaking it to me. So I didn't really grow up learning Korean. And this is actually very common for a lot of uh, immigrant children, children of immigrants in the States. Uh, to, yeah. to really lose touch with their uh, mother language. But but I find it's less common here in Europe. And so when I say like, oh, I'm Korean, but I don't know Korean. Uh, everyone's everyone's like, what? what's wrong with you? <laughs> you don't know what Ribena is. You don't know. What, right? uh, so, yeah. So I feel like there's this there's this gap that I, I crave to fill with learning other languages. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's why desperately trying to learn um, mm -hmm. Spanish, Italian and French and Mm -hmm. making very slow progress in, in those three. It's also weird because I do sp I, I speak those three languages very badly French, but I do plus Portuguese. And they're all very similar, which makes you think that it will be easy to learn them. But then there's differences yeah. and your brain goes... No. Ah! No. It's, it... <laughs> am I, which language <laughs> am I speaking <laughs> now? Uh! <laughs> <laughs> my um, my favorite word that I learned in Italian is cortocircuito, which mm -hmm. is short circuit. And yeah. in Spanish, it's the similar is cortocircuito. And, uh, and that's what I have every single time. I try to switch from one to the other. Because if you go to any, for the language learning nerds out there, if you go to any kind of how to learn multiple languages, website, blog, YouTube video, the first thing they always say is never try to learn similar languages at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, I should be doing Spanish and Korean and Arabic, but instead I chose the three sibling languages. Uh, and there, it's like rule number one, not to do it. Yeah. The problem is life in London is so enhanced and enriched by these three languages, at least the where, where like my world around me is so enhanced by those three languages that I don't want to learn anything else but those at the moment. Yeah. And it, it messes up my brain, but you know, yeah. We do bad things to ourselves all the time. And so I'd rather have the bad thing be three similar languages at the t at the same time rather than, you know, doing cocaine or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. You sh we should s tell that to the city boys. <laughs> <laughs> Just learn languages. Stop yeah. doing coke. Yeah. Just go and learn a language. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> One of the things I hate about those similar languages is, like, everything is gendered in... Mm -hmm. these languages like tables mm -hmm. chairs they all have a gender and they're different like there's genders in italian that are different from the genders in portuguese and then you say like a bridge in portuguese is feminine and it's masculine in italian yeah and then italians just think you're a strange person that is giving the wrong gender to the bridge <laughs> and it's like it doesn't matter it's just a bridge <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and try and try coming with 
with you know a, an English native mindset where nothing really has yeah. a gender. So not only do you have to learn, I had to learn the first full set of genders to everything, which is totally random, and then realize that I had to learn two more sets of genders that don't correspond.、Yeah. And you're like, come on, people. So now I just kind of say both. I just muddle myself、uh, through the words、yeah. and, and whatever. But I think that's like the thing that we need to as language learners. <laughs> Uh, because my, like my Italian teacher used to say that she taught in different parts of the world, and she taught in Portugal. The country is majority Catholic,、mm -hmm. and she taught like in in Germany where they're、uh, Protestants. I think、uh, is that that's a correct、uh, religion? I can't remember. But <laughs> in in Portugal, you're taught about sin, so it's way harder for you to make a mistake. Yeah, because you, it's ingrained in you that. It's a, it's a sin. So people who don't learn about sin learn languages faster because they don't. They don't care. Aren't afraid of the mistake. Because we're, we're. And we are afraid of the mistake <laughs>、yeah. a lot. Or I am afraid of the mistake a lot. So yeah, I like I I I think three times. I'm trying to I've I I'm trying to get out of that. But I think three times before saying the bridge、oh, in Italian to make sure I'm saying the right gender.、Yeah. Because、yeah. of the power of God, <laughs> you、yes. have to suppress the satanic urges within you. Because this bridge is clearly masculine. <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah.、Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm actually reading a book right now called "The Story of French," and it's、uh, it's the history of the French language and how it evolved. And there's a whole chapter on、uh, La Faute, which is about that same idea exactly about how、um, there is a very Kind of social charge or shame associated with making errors in French,、yeah. and they do trace the authors trace it back to that kind of Catholic guilt、uh, phenomenon.、Yeah. So, you know, honestly, just got to get over yourselves, people. Yeah, stop going to Sunday school, <laughs> which I did when I was eight, and still, I'm still plagued by <laughs> <laughs> the Catholic guilt. <laughs> We are at the end of the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. The only thing that is missing is plugs.、Oh. Do you have any plugs? <laughs> yeah.、Um, if you do want to check out Comediations,、uh, we are on at Comediations, C O M E D I A S I A N S, on all social media handles.、Uh, I also do a couple of things with Akaprov,、uh, which is an acapella-based、uh, uh, improv group, and Patrol Comedy. Uh, although we've been a bit dormant these these days,、um, C three something as well with you, Mariana, <laughs> and Portugueseans. So there are a lot of improv things, not many of which are happening right now. But I think if you guys want to check out Comediations, that would be the place to find me. Cool. Thank you so much for being a guest at my podcast. Thank you for having me. This was very fun. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at at Mariana's Beats on Twitter and Instagram for all daily updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome, and do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag #DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Pejdal. Until next week.